For over 90 years, we've been crash testing our cars in the tireless pursuit of automotive safety. At Volvo, safety's been first since 1927. We've saved millions of lives with the invention of the three-point seatbelt in 1959. At Volvo, we've made driving safer for you and them. Visit safety.finleyvolvo.com to learn more. So they say if you give a man a gun, he'll rob a bank. But if you give a man a bank, he'll rob everybody. But the good news for you is Private Money Club runs solely on peer-to-peer -peer relationships, which means no banks allowed. So finally, there's a community for real estate entrepreneurs where it is truly a win-win solution. This community is a place where you can connect with other lenders and other borrowers, and the end results, massive growth for you. You get to build your real estate empire, and you get to do it solving other people's problems. So if that sounds like a place you want to be, well, then join us. Go to privatemoneyclub.com forward slash Kelly. And if you want 500 bucks off, just add the code Kelly 500 and I'll knock 500 bucks off the premier membership. We'll see you on the inside. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas podcast where attitude is everything. We have a special episode tonight. Uh, we generally record on Tuesdays and on Thursdays, but I, I tell you when, when, when my hero calls, um, then I answer right away. My hero is my big brother, Rob Cardenas. And uh, he reached out to me and said, hey, we've got somebody that could be on the podcast that could be incredible. I want to thank our sponsors right off the bat, Finley Volvo Cars of Las Vegas, Jim DiGiulio, the only place that you need to buy a car, honestly. It's the craziest experience and most uh, like the the level of service is on a, a completely different planet uh, the others are private money club and money school with Chris Noggle um, reach out to them you're you can click the links in the uh, in the bio and check them out but they're amazing and most of all I want to thank every single person out there that is listening and that has uh, been rocking with us with the podcast since the beginning and has put us in the top one percent globally of all podcasts it is my honor uh, to be in that and uh, that you listen, that you watch, that you share, and I thank every single one of you. On tonight's show, um, this man is the winningest uh, coach all time uh, for Cal Lutheran in uh, women's soccer. The the record that he has is absolutely phenomenal, um, one, and, and an even better human being. He has five children, which tells you that, that he is an absolute warrior. And uh, I want to uh, just welcome to the show the head coach of women's soccer at Cal Lutheran and the king of his household, Mr. Frank Marino. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you having me on and, and doing this tonight. Looking forward to talking with you. Well, it's it's incredible, Coach, because like when I was talking about the the winningest coach in in uh, at Cal Lutheran, you you wanted to be specific, and then you turned all of the light on everyone else. You talked about the organization before we started recording. You talked about the organization. You talked about the recruits, but you didn't want to shine the light on yourself. How can you stay? How are you able to stay in that humble state and that humility? And how important is that when you're coaching up uh, excellence as you have? I, I think it's an, it's important, uh, you know, to be a servant leader, right? To, to rely on, on, on your players. Your players are what's going to help you be successful and you have to believe in them. If you believe in them, they're going to do, they're going to run through a wall for you. So, you know, between our organization here at the university, our staff, our administration, our trainers, our strength and conditioning staff, the, you know, the, the coaches I get to work with, but most importantly, student athletes that I work with are incredible, incredible human beings. And in order to enable to, my ability to be able to do that is 
I'm blessed every day. I mean, honestly, it's one of the greatest jobs you could ever have. Um, and you know, I got to spend a lot of time away from my family, but I spent a lot of time away from my family with great people and, uh, they, they've helped us be super successful since I've been here. Well, I, I, as I'm looking at it, your record is 175, 57 and 31. I mean, this is something that most of the time people would just stop and beat their own chest, but that's one of the uh, great reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because of the humility part. I want to jump right into it. As far as the coaching, how has the landscape of the coaching changed since the NIL deals have started in? Because we've talked, I, uh, you know, our generation, we've talked about this for years. All oh, people should get paid. They should get paid. Let's talk about the good, the bad, the ugly in that situation. And, you know, what is your view on it and how has it impacted the game? You know, it hasn't a major impact at, at our level, Division Three. So I think it's it, it hasn't hit it as hard. But I think overall it, it's had a major impact. It's given teenagers an opportunity to make huge amounts of money. I think the NCAA is, is really basically um, kicked the issue down the curb, right? They, they found a way to sort of – you know, uh, push it off as far as paying athletes to, to be able to play. Uh, obviously, the universities at Division One level making huge money. But you see some of these deals that are coming out. It's incredible. LeBron's kid that just came out a couple of weeks ago, which is only about 30 minutes from us. Um, you know, it's incredible the amount of money they, they can make. So, you know, and, and they deserve it. I mean, you look at the money some of these schools are making, some of these schools are making off these, you know, student athletes. I think it's incredible. They do get a great education as well. So I think that's, you know, that gets lost in all this, but um, uh, it's going to change the landscape. It's going to continue to change the landscape. However, it doesn't change pretty much the haves and have nots in college soccer, right? The ones that have access to the money will always be good. And the ones that don't will, will struggle. How have you been able to, it's always amazes me with college coaches because a lot of times, I mean, you're looking at a lifespan of an athlete of four years and then you've got to make the program amazing as opposed to like, if, if we compare it to business, a lot of times people don't look at uh, the, it through the lens of that, right? So, you know, when we're looking at say football, Football, they generally have one to two years with the kid, but the program has to be so solid. How have you been able to have such a consistent uh, uh, program that continues to uh, help kids not only in the sports aspect, but you're building people? That's what we were talking about before you, we even got on is some of the athletes that you're talking about, you're looking for cultural fits. How important is that? it's probably the most important thing of, of what we do here is finding the right fit and the right kid. Um, and that's why it's sustainable because you've got to find kids that are willing to um, sacrifice and try to build authentic relationships with each other. It, you know, our program is built on um, truly building real relationship, not having these sort of fake social media type relationships, having these real authentic relationships. And we're, we're really intentional about it. We do a lot behind the scenes in order to, to kind of build those relationships. And we're not perfect every year, but I think if you get enough of the right kids, we can sustain that, you know, and I think that's the key. You got to find good players, but you have to find good people. If you can find good people, then you can obviously be successful. So I think, you know, being able to do that is key. It's hard. We sift through a lot of people and a lot of players. We bring them on campus. We have them meet some of our players. We we want to make sure we're getting the right kids that are really good good students as well. 
So what makes up the right kid? Because, and, and I used to think growing up, I used to think, okay, well, if I'm better, which I, I wasn't at that level anyway, but if I'm better or my friend is better at the sport, they're going to be able to get picked. But what I'm finding, the more and more coaches that I'm around, and even what you said before we started recording, your that cultural fit is the most important part of it. So talk to us about the things that maybe a parent that is getting their kids ready, maybe they're in middle school right now or they're in high school. What are some of the things that, that a coach like yourself with a program that is so amazing that you're actually looking for outside of the fact of the X's and O's and how they can athletically perform? Well, so a, are they a good student? That tells us a lot, right? Because if they, they if they can do that, they're obviously can manage time and they, you know, they care about their studies, they're committed. That's one piece. But what I found is, is that you if you find kids that, that truly care about their friends, they care about their teammates, and when you go to a game, you can tell that they're supportive of their teammates, um, they end up being a lot of times better kids. And then when they come on the visit, we can get a better view of, of truly who they are as people. But what I found is, is we have kids that are sort of close in ability level, maybe a kid slightly better. We've actually won more games years where we have the right cultural fit. These kids play so hard for each other. We win a game or two we probably shouldn't win just because we've played so hard for the person next to us. And I'd rather do that than win with a kid that, you know, it might be slightly better, but culturally is, is selfish, isn't going to do what we want them to do to be part of our program and to care for each other. I mean, that that's the key. You know, we talk about all kinds of things, the body language, you know, how to talk to each other. You know, there, there's a lot of details here in, in how to get the culture right. And like I said, we're not perfect. We don't get it right every year, but I think we get it right more years than we don't. Where did you learn the, the importance of servant leadership? Um, you know, I was just, uh, actually, I was just talking, this is an, an Pretty crazy thing. Um, but I was just talking with the uh, king of the Western region of Ghana. He was just on the show wow. on Saturday. And when I was talking to him, he was sa- I, I said, how is it to be a king? He said, well, to be a king, uh, all I have to do is serve all the people. And he talked about servant leadership. But a lot of times servant leadership gets this kind of like, oh, well, that's soft. But I, when I talk to servant leaders, I believe that servant leadership is the, is the future of all leadership. And, but like, where did you learn that? And where were those, where did those principles come from for you? I think some of it is from my upbringing, but a lot of it, you kind of learn as you go. Like this has changed a lot through the years as kids have changed. Right. So I think when I first started, I probably wasn't as good at being a servant leader as I am now. Like, I think, you know, we grew up in an age where it was sort of a authoritarian leadership, right? You were told what to do and you said yes. And that was what we knew. Nobody knew any different. You weren't supposed to question or say no or do anything else. You did what you were told to do. And, and then things sort of shifted. And at some point we had a, we had a bad season seven or eight seasons ago. When I say bad season, nine and nines, you know, not at our standard. And I, I self-reflected, I said, what am I doing wrong here? What, what could I do differently? So I started to look at some of the best, you know, best coaches out there. Um, I spent a week with Anson Dorrance in North Carolina, who's one of the best women's soccer coaches in the country. Um, I've watched a lot of What Drives Winning, which is a, an organization with Becky Burley and Brett Ledbetter, who have done an amazing job with this type of leadership. And I just said, what do I need to do differently? And really, the, the concept is you put, you put the, the person before the player. The person is what's most important. And if you can put the person ahead of the player, you're going to get a great player out of it. So I think 
really for me, it was, it was learning from my failure in some ways, learning from where we could be better and then self-assessing and saying, what can we do differently to make ourselves better? And then realizing that the generation has changed, how kids learn has changed. Ultimately, I'm in this role because for the players, it's their program. I might be the leader of it, but it's their program. And I want them to enjoy their experience here and be and really enjoy every aspect of it on and off the field. And in order to do that, I make it as best I can about them. They have a lot of ownership in everything that we do within the program. How is it that a lot of times when, when you go, come from a top-down leadership, which is a lot of people, right? So they have the pyramid. They have the, the leader up here, yeah. and then everyone else serves them. When you take a leader like that and you say what you just said, a lot of times a leader is going to be like, oh, now you're giving the keys. And they, I'm, this is a bad uh, comparison. You're giving the keys to the prisoners, and they're going to run the prison, you know what I'm saying? Like, or I'm giving the keys to the people of the city and they're going to run it and they're not going to understand how, how do you help to, uh, help people to understand the different side of it? Because that, that's uh, such an uncommon way of thinking. And I want to congratulate you for it. But a lot of times when people are looking at leading an organization or le leading a team, they're like, nah, I got to be in control. Well, first of all, you, you've got to be confident in yourself, right? You, you can't be somebody who, who, you know, lacks self-confidence because you're going to, you're always going to be in fear that somebody's going to ruin your program or do something wrong. You know, you got to first off be confident in what you're doing and believe in that. But the, the other part about this is we still have rules and standards and guidelines, right? However, the players develop those. I enforce them. I allow them to develop them. If I disagree with them, well, we'll have a conversation about it and see if we can come to some sort of agreement. But Ultimately, when they create what we call our non-negotiables or the things that we, we won't allow, what steps over the line, it's easy because they created it. All I have to do is enforce it, and it's equal for everybody. The, the rules were determined by them. I enforce them. Makes it, it, makes it, it makes it easy. What I, you know, and, and I teach a little bit of sport management. What, what, where it becomes you know, more challenging is you know, they, once you set a precedent for how you're going to deal with something, you've got to be consistent in that. Sometimes they come in guns blazing. They're upset about something and say, well, you got to punish this person, you know, even harder. And I'm like, well, how did we deal with this previous situation? And then we look at that and go, okay, let's, what can we do that's in line with that? And then you, once you talk through it, they go, yeah, that makes sense. Let's, let's go with that. Right. So I think it's, it's finding that, that balance, but, but ultimately if you want, players to buy in and be successful it's for them and they've got to feel like they have a say in what you're doing um yeah ultimately do i have final say yes but but do i take input 100 percent. how do you manage the fact of like you exist in a world of what have you done for me lately meaning in the coaching world um you know once things start to go south uh on the winning side of it then it's like, well, I don't know if the love is, is there anymore. How do you deal with that type of pressure and not push that onto the, the, um, the player? Because what I've seen in management, or whether it be in business or in, in sports, a lot of times when the coach is under a ton of pressure, which is a what have you done for me lately culture, which we live in, um, then they put their players in that and then the players tighten up. And when we tighten up, we don't play to win. We play not to lose. And we know what yeah. happens during that time. How do you deal with that? You know, I am, 
obviously having success, I, I have some security right here. They, I, you know, I'm not, if we have a bad season or two, it's, it's not the end of the world, right? Because I think if you if you look at it, they they know we're going to get it right at some point. At least we know how to get it right, right? So I think that that's part of it. Is just I I'm, I feel security in that is that the administration here supports what we're doing. They support how we treat people. They support how the programs run. So if you have the backing of if, of the people behind you, who's who who I report to, you're you're much more comfortable in in doing things the way you do them. So I think that that's the first first part. Uh, the second part is I think everything here is more self-imposed, right? You know, I, I'm ultra competitive. You know, it could be ping pong or bowling or whatever it may be. I want to win. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's just the way I that's just the way I I am. I literally will compete at anything at any time. You know, it's one of those things that it drives me with competition. So we try to find players that are competitive. You know, we we want people here that want to compete, that want to win that want to be part of that culture. I mean, that's, that's also part of the culture is, you know, we don't want mediocrity. We don't want people here that are okay with, you know, second place, third place, fourth place. We, we want to win, you know, and we finished second last year. For me, that's not good enough. We got to try to get better this year. And that's what we're shooting to do. What kind of questions can you draw out to see if a person has a killer inside of them? Because if you were to ask a person, are you, do you love to win? They would, everyone would say yes. But there's sometimes questions that you can ask during a visit that can get, and I, I know maybe coach, you might say like, I don't want to tell you my secrets because then the kids are going to be able to answer, but I promise I won't tell anyone. I promise. <laughs> I, I promise I won't tell anyone at all coach, but how do you draw that out? And what are you looking for? Like when I see, say my brother, right? My brother my brother's an apex predator. Like there's, he, you know, I call, call him a great white shark, meaning that there is no one on earth that hunts that dude. That dude hunts everything. And yeah. when I look at you coach, and when you spoke about winning, like, I don't know, I can't wait for you to go back and watch this because your body language changed. Like you, <laughs> you sat up in the chair, your, your shoulders went back and it was like, you were about to go into a fight when you were talking about like second isn't okay. How can you identify that in a kid without asking the thing directly? So, you know, we're, we're asking questions, you know, might be even about their academics. It might be about other things in their life. You're, you're, you're trying to find out, you know, what standard they hold themselves to. Right. And if people that hold themselves to a high standard and that are uh, that that believe in holding yourself to a standard are generally competitive, you know, because they want to reach that standard. So. You know, we're going to ask questions that that really look at, you know, do you hold yourself accountable? Do you hold your health self to a high standard? Um, you know, do you, are you successful in multiple areas, not just in soccer, right? Because that tells us that in other aspects of life, they want to compete and be really good at what they're doing. Um, you know, and, and that's what we're looking for. Kids that want to do that. What is the DNA for a coach that, uh, like at your level, because obviously you were a player, right? You played sports because you're a killer and you want to win. And, yep. you know, and second isn't good enough. But not every player like that translates to being a coach. I remember hearing Kobe Bryant and they asked him, are you going to coach in the NBA? He's like, I'm not going to translate to a coach. Not everyone can. What is the DNA of a coach that can uh uh, perform at the levels that you perform? I, I think you have to build relationships. It's really about co coaching. Coaching is mostly about the relationship piece. You've got to be good at X's and O's. You've got to make good decisions, but you're managing people. 
And when you manage people, you've got to, and you've got to convince them to play hard and you've got to convince them to compete. You've got to convince them to be good teammates. It's really about relationship. And sometimes some of the best players are some of the worst coaches because they just, they know they have the DNA to be great, but they really don't understand the whole teammate and other aspects of it. I think the relationship piece is key. And the best coaches I had growing up were ones that were, were really the ones I had relationship with, right? So when you think about it, you want to be in a situation where you have relationship with your players. And if you can create those relationships, those players are going to play hard for you. Again, I, I'm not perfect. There's, there's, I'm sure some people out there that don't don't love me or didn't have a great experience for whatever reason. But I think we do more good than we do bad. And and kids generally leave here with a good a good uh, feeling about what they're doing. And it's really because we built those relationships with them, you know. And if you do that, you're you're going to have success. I think coaching comes down to relationship, and that's what it comes down to. So what is the, for you, what is the win? Uh, you know, like I'll give you an example. I called my brother the other day and the, my, my son was playing and a kid threw a punch at him and oh, wow. I walked up and I was right afterwards. My son was, you know, kind of like just upset and the kid was kind of, you know, he's a friend or whatever it was, but he threw a punch and I pulled my son aside and I said, look, the next time that somebody throws a punch at you, ball your fist up and I want you to plant it in his mouth. And my son looked at me and said, I'm not that type of guy. And he's 11. And I called my brother and I talked to him and I said, Rob, I feel like maybe I'm not teaching my son to be scrappy, whatever it is. And he's like, no, Kel, you won because you raised your son not to be that type of guy. It's very easy to plant your fist in someone's mouth, but it's different to be able to deal with it and communicate through it. And for me afterwards on that, it was a win, right? Mm -hmm. For you, when a kid goes through your program, what are the what are the things that you see that you say that's a win? I I look at um, when they when they graduate here, how they're treating the freshmen when they come in, how their relationships are with their their teammates. Um, we always talk about leaving the jersey in a better place. Have they left the jersey better than they found it? And that's a win for me. If, if I look at them and say their experience here left the jersey in a better place than, than before, then I know that I won, that we did everything the right way. Um, you know, of course, graduation, success on the field, getting to the NCAA tournament, those are all important factors. But ultimately, they leave here with an experience that they look back and say, I really enjoyed that. I had made great friends. They're going to be friends for life. Some will be in my weddings and all these other things that I'll, I'll come back for alumni weekend and hang out with. But ultimately, if they if they leave here and we can look at them and said, their experience here was so great that they left the jersey better for the next person that wears that jersey number, then we, we did everything right we could. So, Coach, you said something earlier that you said that, uh, you know, you learn more from your failures than you do from your successes. And, um, you know, I, I had a situation which was in 2020, March 12th, two days before the big thing happened. Yeah. I, had a, I had a meeting with my whole company and I recorded it. I still have the recording. And I told every single leader in my company, I've been through 9-11 I've been through the crash of 2008. Mm -hmm. Don't worry. This is no big deal. 
mm-hmm. three, four days, and everything will be back to normal, which was the <laughs> dumbest and one of the biggest mistakes I ever made in my uh, entire career. Yeah. yeah. But I learned a lot. Because what I was doing is I was so focused on the system and I loved the system so much that I managed the people and I realized that I needed to manage the system, love the people, right? And like exactly what you're talking about as far as the relationship. So I got smacked in the mouth with this. Can you talk about something that maybe you have learned in your coaching and being specific of that you learned that lesson and it was a low point for you? Yeah, I think again, going back to the sort of that year we we struggled. I think there there was so much, you know, we we created almost an overly competitive environment, and we were so hard on everybody. We had such a high standard, um, and, and which was all good, but it was the way you go about it, right? Um, you get a lot farther. You learn this in marriage. You go, you you do, you get a lot more when 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 you're kind and loving to your wife than when you're not. So, um, you know. It, bottom line is if, if you treat your wife well, your life's probably going to be pretty good. If you don't, it's probably going to be pretty miserable. So, you know, one of the things I've learned here, I did do, when I wrote my master's thesis in education, I, I did a paper on, on female motivation. And one of the, the key aspects of that is, you know, creating connectedness amongst players, but, but really being able to show players that you care for them, you love for them, and they're in a safe and trusting environment. And if we can do that, we're going to be successful. So I think the, the more love you show, the more they're going to run through a wall. We talk about the positive energy. If you can bring positive energy, you can be successful. You know, we live a best, much better life than most. We get to go out there on the field, you know, during season almost every night. And that experience is wonderful. We get great sunsets. We're in a beautiful area. Um, you might have a miserable day at, at, at school. I might have a miserable day at work. But when I step out there, we should have positive energy and we should be excited to be out there with each other because guess what? Practice is going to be a lot better. So, um, you know, I, I think trying to take that positive, you know, mentality into everything that you do is going to help. We have our kids read a book. Um, I'll plug um, The Energy Bus by John Gordon. It's a great book. I'm sure you've read it. Um, our kids all read it here. Riley will read it her sophomore year. So, you know, she, she'll get if she hasn't already. Um, it's, it's, it really talks about your perspective on life. You can look at everything from a negative way, but those people are vampires. They, they really bring you down and all they do is stress you out, make life miserable. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're positive, the people around you are likely to be positive, right? So the more that we can bring that positive vibe and positive energy, the more success we're going to have. Um, it doesn't do me any good to rip a player in front of other players it's not positive. You know, it's, it's not going to make them play better. Honestly, the more, the more love I can show, the better they're going to play. How do you change the vibe in a locker room? Um, I think just trying to walk in there, they can feel the energy, right? So if you can come in with good energy and you can start and, and have a good tone with the energy, um, you know, I'm, I think one of, one of my strengths is I can read the, read the room. I can read the energy that's going on. Right. So, you know, sometimes you might have to crack a joke. Sometimes you might have to be funny. Sometimes you have to, you know, do something to sort of lighten the, lighten the mood in there before things go. But then just talk about the belief you have in them, knowing that you believe in them, showing them that you believe in them. All those things help. But I, I really think it's, again, it's bringing that positive vibe to everything that we do. 
it's going to help. It always helps. I've never seen somebody be positive and somebody, you know, not follow in those cases. The, the, you talk about great leaders. The people people follow are the positive leaders. They don't follow negative leaders in most cases. Who wants to do that? You want to follow people that are, are positive, good leaders and that treat people the right way. What are some of the vibe manipulators that you have? Like we, we did in our company and I, I learned this, uh, you know, I've learned by failure. Um, but one vibe manipulator would, uh, we used to have, um, people could choose the music like on the particular day. So it was their day. They could choose anything that they wanted. Well, when I started this, I actually chose the song happy, which was by Pharrell. And it, I thought everyone's going to be happy because I played happy. But I played happy for two weeks straight and everyone was so pissed when they heard happy because I tried to do just one static vibe and yep. everyone was like, I ain't feeling it anymore. What are some of the vibe manipulators that you put in the locker room and on the field that can kind of shift the energy that you that are go to things that you can do? Well, music's one of them, and, and I let them choose a lot, although I can't say they have great, great <laughs> choice in music or taste in music. I've told them many times, I'll share my mix on my phone with them anytime if they want to hear good music. Um, music's one of them, but we could do, we do, you know, sometimes do some fun stuff at practice. You can feel the energy out there. So it might be a, a, a fun little game, team game, where we have a little bit of competition out there, right? So you, you sort of, you know, get them in teams and we, we've got a, we've got a handful of things that we can go to, things that are, that are sort of fun and stuff you know, when, when we get out there, one of the things we've changed, one of the things we've done to try to build sort of the, a good positive vibe is, you know, meeting in the locker room before practice, instead of just going out to the field, what I found out the field is they all kind of get in groups and they hang out and there's not this team vibe, right? If you're in a locker room, you're sort of forced to be together, right? And then you're all kind of facing each other. Then you're more likely to have, maybe have a conversation, check on how they're doing, play some music and dance. They love to dance. So dancing is another one, right? You know, play the right song and they'll, they'll dance, you know? Um, sometimes I, you know, I'll try to be funny. I'll, I'll try to use a, I, I guess their lingo or their terms. Um, you know, these little buzz words that are, you know, I guess popular today. So, and then all of a sudden they'll look at the old guy and say, how do how the heck does he know that word? You know, like, you know, just to be funny with them, but then it, it kind of humanizes you. It's like, Oh, he, he, he knows what that means. You know, it's like, you know, so, you know, little, little things like that. Um, you, you just try to be as human as you can be and, and, and try to relate to them the best that you can. It's getting harder as I get older, obviously, but I have younger kids. So that helps me, helps me stay young for the most part. And then I, of course, I got assistant coaches that are closer in age to them and, you know, they help keep me in check, but also, you know, help, help keep the vibe young, I guess. Coach, what do you wish you could unlearn about coaching? Wow. What could I unlearn? Um, being overly harsh or, or, or being hard on players in the moment, you know, I think, is, am I answering that right? I think that's my biggest one. Like you, you just get caught up sometimes in the competitive moment and, you know, you just, just learning to control yourself in those moments and, 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 and doing the right thing. We all fail sometimes, but you always look back and go, man, I should have handled that better. Um, but it's always your competitive juices that get going and you get, you know, you get into it and you get a little bit over the top. I've done better through the years, but it got to continue to always do better. How do you manage the, cause it's, it's a fine line, right? So when you're building, when you're building apex predators, um, yes. that want to win, that want to be competitive, how, 
talk to us about that line because you know I, I know too like watching watching my brother I there was times where he wouldn't play basketball with me growing up because he was so good at every single thing and if we started going he was gonna smash me he was gonna beat me into the ground and he knew the line um, he knew that line he towed the line but there was times where we would get into a place and you know, how do you manage that in a player to be able to make sure that they stay in the team, that they stay positive, stay that, but also you want them to feel the sting of the loo- the loss too, because if they don't feel that, they aren't going to want to come back and be better. How are you able to manage that? Yeah, it's tough. I'll start by saying, you know, in, 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 you know, similar to your brother, I, I worry about my assistant coaches continuing to compete with me at things because they'll get tired of losing and stop playing me. But we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes over the next couple months. But, um, you know, there is a fine line. There is a fine line between, you know, between those those things. I think it's again holding the standard and line, but also telling them failure is okay. I think we're in a society now where failure they feel like is the end of the world, right? It's like oh my gosh, the, the, the world's going to end because I couldn't do this. So I'm like, no, you can learn from it. You know, failure's okay. Failure's how we get better. Making mistakes is how you get better. If we were perfect, we wouldn't have a chance to get better, right? And I, I don't know how many times I've said, I've never seen a perfect soccer game. I've never seen a perfect soccer player. So we're always going to have things to work on to get better. And we don't expect anybody to be perfect. So it, it's really about... That's okay to make a mistake. We can point out the mistake. We can hold you accountable for the mistake, but you've got to learn from it and get better the next time. And I think that that mentality is the key. It's pushing that that is a standard. We we don't want to, we, we got to hold you to that standard, but it's not the end of the world. We just got to work at it and continue to get better. How do you draw a, draw a person out into the vibe of, you know, hey, I, I've got to have the competitiveness when they are getting too much to the other side, because you, that's as a coach, you have to manage that too, where a kid will be like, hey, I'm going to, you know, it, it doesn't really impact me a ton that I lost. How do you draw their vibe back into the competitive side then? I, I think, again, it's through the relationship. If, if, you, if you believe in them and you see their potential and you believe in what they can do, and you show that trust and belief in them, and you have that conversation with them, um, a lot of times they're in that state because they're not playing or they're unhappy with their role or, or something to that effect. You've got to go back to them and say, okay, what can I do to, to re-engage them in a positive way so they do compete for their spot? They can get on the field and they can do those things. So it really comes down to you know, believing in them, but taking the time to have that one-on-one conversation and then give them the specific things they need to work on. And I think inherently, most people, almost all, have competitiveness in them. It's a matter, I think the competitive, they, they shut down when they feel like they're not being successful or they're failing in some way. It's trying to redirect that in a positive way to, to get them to compete again. How can you take a kid and help them? Like my, I asked my son the other day, I said, son, do you get nervous before a game? He said, um, yes, I do. I said, well, how do you, how do you describe it? He said, you know, my heart beats, whatever it is. And I said, well, are you nervous when you walk on the field? And he said, no, dad, it goes all the way. How do you prepare a kid for that type of scenario where you want him to get hyped before the game, but you want him to stay calm and keep their head when they get in it? And I, and I think it's kind of an individual thing. Some are really good at getting hyped and they want to be hyped. And then some are kind of chill and low key and, 
you got to find what kind of works for each player. But, you know, ultimately you, you want to, you want to put them out in there in a place where you, they feel comfortable to be successful. And if you can do that, you, you've done well. I think it's finding, again, it's not one size fits all, you know, every player is slightly different. They might have their own hype video or, or music they listen to. Some don't want to listen to anything. Right. And it's, it's not trying to force your way onto them. It's really finding what works for them so that they feel calm and comfortable going in the game. I always tell them they've played thousands of soccer games from the time they were five on. Right. So, you know, this is just another soccer game. Yeah. It's a playoff game, big game. Yeah, it might be, but it's just another soccer game. It's just another team. It's a field. Nothing's different. You know, like let's go out there and take care of business. What could the players on your team now? Uh, and, and I won't tell them that you told me this. I'll, I'll keep it a secret. It'd just be between you and I. But what could the players on your team do to make your job easier? Um, like if I you had a magic wand, coach, and you were able to say, like, do those things. Do the work in the offseason um, and, and prepare yourself in the offseason. Because one thing about college soccer compares to club um, – and even, you know, professional soccer's, we only have them for literally five months a year. So if that, so there's seven months a year, they're, they're on their own for the most part. And, you know, so in order for us to be successful, they have to put the work in off the field themselves. If they do that, we have less to do when they get here. That makes my world so much better. The other piece is when they get here, it's just being engaged, buying in, putting the work in every single day, not allowing those, you know, energy vampires and outside sources to come into their mental state that affect um, us being able to be successful during practice and games. Um, you know, it's managing their, their load, which is hard with school and everything else. That's not easy. Um, so we talk about all those things and, and, and honestly, social media has created difficulties with mental health that are real. And, and it's really hard, you know, um, you know, people are not successful at things the next thing you know, it could be a reel on Instagram or, or TikTok, you know, so you have to be cognizant of the fact that, that there's an image thing going on with everything in, in the world these days. So it's, it's understanding all those things, being able to read those signs, but also just being there and supporting them and showing the love for them. How do you help a kid through the mental part of it? Um, you know, it, it, when I say this, I mean, I don't understand how you have the energy coach because you have five children, you have a, you have a wife um, and you're looking at as a true servant leader, you're looking at adapting to each and every person as opposed to old school leadership that is like, look, this is the way we do it. This is the only way you're actually individualizing. Where do you draw the energy from to be able to make those things happen? Part of it is I have an amazing wife who does a great job with our kids. She's, unreal. Um, and I mean, she's super mom, mom of the year for sure. Wife of the year. I, I, you know, I can't say enough about all that she does. Um, she, she makes it possible, but the, the other piece of it is it's really being surrounded by great young people. Great young people have a great vibe and energy. Um, they are, kids are so smart these days. They have so much knowledge. Um, they have so much at their fingertips because of that. It energizes me. And it, it makes me energize when, when I'm around them. It gets me excited. It gets me motivated. It gets me wanting to continue to do this job. 
um, I really draw off sometimes their energy. They probably don't even realize it. Like, you know, um, it really does influence me in a positive way. Same with my staff, you know, they, they're, they're, they come in, um, we can mess around, joke around, but they're, they're also young, vibrant, energetic. It just helps keep you going, you know? Um, and, and, you know, teaching the classes too, like you get to have such robust conversations with, with some of these kids and you're just amazed by how much they know. And, uh, it, it just, it just energizes me. How much like percentage wise can the vibe of the kid impact, um, their playing time? Uh, their connection point with the rest of the team, all those things. How important is that? It's massive. I mean, it's it's massive because you want to find kids that that bring the right energy on the field. That you know, even if they're not the starting player, that they are they're cheering and rooting for that player that's playing in front of them. And when they come out, they're going to give them a high five, and they want to they want to keep the level higher, bring it to another level when they come in. You know, so you want those types of kids on your team. If we get those types of kids, we can be successful. We had a girl a couple of years ago, senior, um, senior, uh, player. She had transferred from a, you know, division one, division two school came in, um, uh, a younger player beat her out for the, for the spot, um, and, and took the spot from her. And, you know, she, she was selfless. She said, she told the player, you've earned the spot. I'm going to work as hard as I can to win my spot back but I'm going to be here to coach you and help you as much as I can in your role and any knowledge that I can share and give to you, I'm going to give to you. And that's a win, by the way, we talk about win moments as a coach. That's a win moment as a coach. Um, you know, those are the types of kids that you want. Um, that's when you know you're doing things the right way. Um, and, and that's, that's what we're trying to do. How do you continue to help kids to innovate? And because I think that giving them like you've been talking about this as far as building the relationships with the people that it's more important than the system. And how do you give people freedom to innovate? And you said that, you know, the procedures, you're letting the team come up with the procedures and then you're just holding them accountable to what they made up anyway. How do you continue to give them freedom to innovate and to change things if they see uh, possible or they see that it's uh, necessary? We still guide it. So, you know, we'll, we'll have, we'll have a lot of team activities that we do where we're, you know, just like a teacher in a classroom, we'll bring in stuff to sort of prompts or questions and, and things for them to think about and talk about and get the conversations going in the room. Right. So, you know, it's still my job to, to help guide in the right direction, but we want to bring in meaningful things, but also things that are relevant to kids today. So, you know, I, I tell everybody, you can't be a dinosaur, can't be a coaching dinosaur, right? Coaching dinosaurs fail. We, we have to continue to, to, to keep up with our craft. We have to continue to believe in what we're doing. We have to continue to study what we do. We can't believe we know it all. Once we know, we think we know, we know it all, we're going to fail. So um, I continue to educate myself the best I can. I try to keep up with, with the way things are today. And I really look for ways, um, you know, to get kids to relate to things we're doing. We had an activity a couple of weeks ago. I think they thought it was crazy. I, I showed a, um, you know, a, a movie clip um, that they probably thought made zero sense. Um, but it actually turned into a really robust conversation because, um, you know, we, we, we were just trying to, to get them to, to talk and to, to bring out things that are important to what, how we do things, to our culture and to building things that are going to make our team more successful. What was the movie clip, Coach? 
Man, I can't even. I wish I, I wish I could tell you the name <laughs> of the movie. I'll, I'll, when we get offline, I'll share the clip with you. Okay. You know, you know, basically the 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 premise is, um, you know, um, it was it was a it was a guy that's you know a, a chef at a restaurant. His ultimate goal was to open his own pub, but he ends up opening uh, a restaurant. And, and basically, um, kind of, I can't think of the famous actor that's talking with him. But anyway, he says to him you know, um, you know, why did you not do the pub basically? You know, what, why did you, why did you not decide to open the pub? And then he talks about how he, he's created all this great food and he has these things. He loves the menu. They ask him about his favorite dish. And the guy ends by saying, do you think any of these people in this restaurant really care? (laughs) And you go and, and you go, you know, and they're looking at me like, what does this all mean? But really what we're, what we're looking at is, you know, the, the people that care are the people that are a part of our team, but individually, if, if you care about what you're doing, if you're trying to reach your goals, if you're trying to do all the right things, then you're going to have success. But you, if you give up that success because you're just trying to please other people, then you're not going to be successful. How important is it to, um, adapt to situations immediately, because I think that a lot of times, whether it be game time, um, you know, whether it be game time or in practice or with your team, you're constantly having to adapt coach when you're playing a sport, especially when you're playing at a sport at your level, how important is it for the, for the coaching staff and for the, for the players to adapt immediately to the circumstances that are happening right now? I think that's the key to coaching is you've got to be able to deal with those things when they, when they happen. And if there's one area, I think kids today, um, and, and I talk about this with our team and even with, with the coaching is, is how to solve problems and not take no for an answer sometimes. Right. And, and probably similar to Rob in, in this situation with like, don't tell me, no, we can't do that. Like we got to find ways to do things. Right. So um, I don't, I don't ever believe knows is the answer necessarily. We can solve solve the issue that's coming. And I share some examples in class, but the, you know the the biggest thing is being able to look at a situation and then come up with the solution. That's the key, um, and not giving up. A lot of kids will go, "Oh, I, I give up. There's no solution to that." Well, yes, there is. We just got to figure it out, right? And let's, let's figure out what the solution is. You know, um, like it's a terrible example, but the one example I'll give you is like, you know, one day we come out to the field. Um, I think it was a changeover from a football game to a soccer game. Uh, none of this stuff is set up, you know, nothing is ready to go for a game. We're hosting a team coming in. It's our responsibility to have this stuff ready. And, um, we get out there and we're like, you know, the, the person in charge is going, what am I going to do? We're, we're not going to be able to do this. We don't have enough time to do this. And I go, we don't have a choice. We're going to figure out how to do it. And we're going to figure out the solution now. So as we talked through it, I said, well, do we have people coming to work the game in 30 minutes? And, and, he, and the guy goes, yeah, yeah. I said, well, I guarantee they'll take the extra pay if we ask him to come right now. So why don't we get on the text and ask him to come right now? And he looks at me and goes, oh yeah, that's a good idea. I'm like, uh, yeah, that's a good idea. And sure enough, he sends a text out. Next thing you know, four people are willing to come over. I said, secondly, we have a room full of players inside the the inside the building. I'm sure if we need to, we can ask them to come out here. I, it's not the best thing for us to get ready, but if we can't find other people, we'll get them and we'll do it. 
if I hadn't been there, this person would have given up and said, hey, we're not going to be able to solve this problem today, you know, but luckily I walked out there and I'm like, we're going to figure it out. You know, that's what we do. Um, and I think that mentality is missing a little bit because, you know, again, that's one of the negatives of having a lot of answers at your fingertips. If it doesn't work out, they go, oh, it doesn't work out. Well, no, it's, that's not okay. Well, we'll figure it out, you know, but sometimes you have to think for yourself how to solve the problem. What were some of the principles that you learned early on, say like in with your mom, your dad, your uncle, your grandfather? Um, and I'll give you an example. My, my pop, um, who, I mean, just an incredible man, but he told us all the time uh, growing up that uh, there was only one business in the world, one business only. That was the people business. You took the people out of the business. You had no business at all. I was mad at my dad my whole life because he would be a broken record and say that over and over again. But then when I went into opening businesses, consulting businesses, consulting brands, um, I realized that there was only one business in the world. And if you gave me access to the people, I could build the people, the people would build the business. It's exactly what you talked about earlier, that you allow the people to build the procedures, then you hold them accountable to what they produced in the first place. And they really can't resist what they actually created. Right. So what are some of the principles that your maybe pops, your mom, your uncle, your grandfather, that maybe you resisted that now you're basing the things that you're doing on, uh, you know, to make you successful, successful. My, my grandfather was an incredible influence on my life. Talked to him every day until he, until he passed away. Um, didn't go a day go by where we, we didn't have a conversation down to the principles of, I should read the newspaper every day when I wake up in the morning. You know, it was one of those things that that should be the first thing that I do because I should be aware of what's going on in the world, you know? Um, and, and he, and he just, you know, he really was such a hard worker. He had built every business he had himself, you know, um, he, he, he had a tough, he had a tough situation where, um, you know, I went from living at a country club out here, had a place in Avon Beaver Creek Vale area, Colorado, um, I think it was, I think it was 19, it was an 84. There was a savings and loans crash. He was building a big project in, um, in Avon Beaver Creek area, um, ended up losing everything, had to file bankruptcy, the, the whole thing. He's in his late fifties, um, and has to file bankruptcy. And what does he do? He, he picks up, he moves to Palm Springs. He starts a plumbing business with just himself and a truck builds it into the second largest plumbing business in Palm Springs at, at, at its peak. He had like 18 different trucks running, you know, out of his shop um, where he could have just given up and said, Hey, I'm done. I don't know what I'm going to do, but he found a way to have a, a second go at it in his life. Ended up living at a country club, ended up, you know, playing golf every day in his retirement ended up passing away on the golf course, which by the way, is a great way to, if you're going to go out, <laughs> go out having some fun. Um, and I, I think, you know, you look at those principles, I know I haven't answered your question, but I think from, from the sense of it is, you know, is that you can't just give up when things are, 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 are wrong, right? If things are bad, that's not just give up time. It's like, what are we going to do to, to be successful? And I think I've always lived my life that way. I, I saw him go through that. My grandmother, in the whole midst of that, my grandmother died of cancer two years in, after that whole thing happened. And then he was, you know, then he was widowed trying to do all of this. And I just saw him persevere through all of that and rebuild his life to not fully where it was previously, but pretty darn close um, 
over those years. And I, and I said this stuff, it's something I've always admired and, and, you know, I'll always respect to this day. Coach, what would you, what do you wish that every player that came on to your program would ask you? What I wish they would ask me in what context? I mean, like for myself, for myself, and I'll give you an example of it is I wish that people would ask me why this, uh, why, uh, like why they shouldn't be fooled by the smooth taste of my personality and countenance. The reason why I say that is because I'm a positive guy, but I'm a positive guy because of all the kicks I've taken to the head, all the kicks I've taken to the head that took me down all the kicks to the face that I've taken while I'm on the ground. And that was in family. That was in business. That was in finance. And I wish people would ask me that question because then they would understand why I can continue to get up. I wish they would ask me, what does it take to be successful on a continue continuing basis? What, what does this success look like and how can we get to success on a regular basis? I'm not always right, but I think I'm right more than more often than I'm not. But I think I, I have a lot of tools that can help people be successful. Um, and I think the, the more we can is people can ask and, and talk to me about that, um, the more more I can I can help them. I mean, I'll, I'll share one last random story with you. Um, it's sort of it's sort of a crazy it goes back to the whole thing we've talked about about people and people relationship. It goes back to what your dad used to tell you. I got my first job, um, my, my first real job in coaching based on a relationship I had working at a video store in high school. A guy would come in and we were personal. I would talk to him. Um, he liked sports. He'd come in to rent his movies. People only know, by the way, they don't even know what video stores are, but that's a whole nother thing. Um, and we would ha- we'd have these conversations and we built a relationship. And, um, then I came back, I would come back from college and occasionally fill in on a weekend or work and just to make a little extra cash or whatever. And he came in one day and he said, Hey, what, what is it you, you want to do? And I'm like, yeah, I want to be a teacher and a coach when I'm older, you know, this and that. He's like, great. He says, I'm a assistant principal at a, a high school. And, uh, he gave me his business card. He said, when you finish school, give me a call and, uh, you know, let, let me know. I said, okay, great. Forgot about that, of course. So, Ended up getting a job coaching. I'm coaching for one of the local high schools here on a JV team. I play against the school that he's actually working at. He sees me after the game and he goes, what's up? What are you doing? I said, yeah, I'm coaching on that team. He said, where are you at with school? I said, well, I'm working on my teacher credential right now. I'm doing my master's. I'm, I'm ready. He said, well, this is the school I'm at now. Here's my business card. You know, look me up when you're done and and, and I'll help you out. I said, great. Um, so I, I, I finished my, you know, my, I was working on my teacher credential. Next thing you know, he's actually the, becomes the athletic director uh, at the school I was coaching at the next year. I was a JV boys coach. The varsity girls job opens up. I literally have been coaching two years. I've only coached boys. I'm 24 years old. And uh, next thing you know, I get a phone call from the boys coach and he says, Hey, you should apply for this girl's job. I'm like, I have never coached girls. I've not, I don't know if I'm ready to be a varsity coach. You know, what do you think? He said, well, the athletic director said you should apply for this job. You should apply for this job. I said, okay, okay, I'll apply. So I apply for the job. 
I can see the there was there was a candidate that had won five CIF championships, which are the state the state championships yeah. in soccer. And this athletic director hires me, <laughs> and um, you know, and I and I, I I struggled those first couple years, but you know, by the third year, we won the first CIF women's girls soccer title in school history, and um, and and I've been there I've been there ever since twenty three years. Um, so, you know, I joke with him. I said, he took a risk on me. It turned out okay for him. Um, um, but it turned out better for me because it really led to, you know, obviously uh, meeting the person that, that helped me get the job here. But, but the, the, the moral of the story is, is that that 16 year old relationship, the relationship as a 16 year old high schooler, by the way, I got a teaching job at the same school from that same assistant principal. So, I, you know, I wouldn't have the condo that I first bought and lived in. I wouldn't have, you know, met my wife. All these things wouldn't have happened had I not had that relationship. So when we go back to what is this all about people and relationships? Coach, if, if you got to, my pops used to say, uh, run with the mufflers off. And he would okay. be like, son, he would call me boy. He'd be like, boy, today we're going to run with the mufflers off. And I was like, pop, like I would get so excited because he would say like, there was no holds barred that we could go at each other. We could have conversation. We could dream, we could do whatever. And there was no barriers. And then there was times where he was like, son, I'm going to go with the mufflers off because I'm going to give you some advice. And sometimes that advice wouldn't be the, 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 the nicest thing in the world. But I tell you, it was that, it was that gritty grimy. It was the killer instinct. Mm-hmm. Coach, if you got to run with the mufflers off and give advice to players that you didn't really have to worry about the feeling that, because again, like, and, and when I say this, the example part of it, um, I got in trouble in this, in these areas in times in business because I didn't ask people if I could run with the mufflers off. I would just go at somebody. I would be like, look, if you do it like this, we created systems. If you do it like this and you do exactly what I tell you to do, there is a guaranteed victory here. But then I had to realize that some people weren't ready for that and I had to do. But if you, coach, got to run with the mufflers off, what would be that advice from the apex predator, from the winner, from the killer that, like, put the ball in my hand? What would the top three pieces of advice with the mufflers off from coach be? Every relationship matters. Every interaction that you have matters. And if you can have those interactions and, the, and, and because every time you're interacting with somebody, they're judging you, they're having an opinion, they're making a decision. And the, these young kids don't realize, and it goes back to the story I just told you, those relationships matter. The other piece is, is that, you know, uh, you know, I've had this with some of you, some even some of my my staff or coworkers, and some of the people here that, are, that that I work with, even in our program. And you've had to, I've had to have very frank conversations. You have to to talk to them when they're not reaching their potential and they have so much more to give. And what are the areas that they can get better in? But it it comes down to you know pointing out to them that they're not living their best self. They're not living to the highest level that they can actually live. And they're not performing at the highest level that they can. And if you equate it back to, you know, them as a player or them in their, in some of the previous things they do, they sort of then relate to it and go, 
you're just you're just skating by you know you can't just skate by you've got to continue to work at what you're doing in order to get better or you're not going to reach your potential in this career or in this industry and if you want to reach those goals you've got to work at it say the same to players say the same to my assistant coaches to any of those people you have to be able to say that to them but the relationship piece matters you can't have those frank conversations with people if you don't have a relationship with them, because it'll just go in one ear and out the other. What are some of the words, give us some examples of some of the things that um, culturally now that the kids are using, and we want some new ones. I just learned Riz, you know Riz right now? Riz, I don't know Riz. I just learned Riz from my daughter, she's 14 years old, and she said, Dad, uh, um, Rocco, that's her boyfriend. And she said, Rocco, He's got the Riz. And I was like, Riz? And she said, yeah, he called me and uh, uh, sent me a picture of the sunset in Hawaii. And I said, wow, that's beautiful. That's what she said. She said, that's beautiful. And he said, not as beautiful as you, McKenna. And she's like, he's got all the Riz. And I was like, "What? what is the Riz? And it's game. And I asked her, why does Riz mean game? And she said, charisma. And I was oh, like, wow, right? So now, Coach, I got to have the Riz. What is yeah, it that you have learned recently? So they use the word per, per, that's per, I guess. I, they, I asked them what it means or what it, where it comes from. I think it means perfect. Like they, they refer to it when it, they, they like it. It's good. Um, my son uses the term mid. That's mid. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, mid. <laughs> okay. Whatever that means. It's mid. It's in the middle. Okay, son, I got it. I would say you want to say it's mediocre. It's okay, you know, but they say, oh, no, that's mid. So, you know, I'll, I'll mess with them once in a while. Those, those are kind of the two most recent. I'm trying to think if there's there's any other. I get surprised all the time with some of the stuff that I that I hear, even trying to keep up with the emojis. I'm glad I have younger assistants. I'll get, I'll get a, a text with an emoji, and I'll say, I got one yesterday. I asked my assistant, what, is that, what does that emoji mean? <laughs> like, Now, how, how do you stay up on it then? I mean, is it from the, from the my assistant kids. coaches? And, okay. My assistant coaches are my kids. I okay. mean, even as assistant coaches get older, they're not quite as in tune to some of the other stuff. But my, my kids, you know, luckily I have a 23-year-old, a 16-year-old. So I, I've got 13-year-olds. I've got plenty of, plenty of kids that kind of know what's going on out there, you know. So I, it kind of keeps me young and keeps me up with, with the lingo. So one yeah. of my one of my friends, coach, uh, his name is Sean Finnegan. He said something that really rocked my world. He said, "It's this uh, most of the time, it's the start that stops you." And I had to sit in it for a second, and then I realized that most of the time, a person sees a culture like what you've created—a winning culture. You're the winningest coach in Cal Lutheran uh, women's soccer history. You created a culture, and that culture of excellence. How can a person start right now, they're, whether they have a business right now or they're a coach, how can they start and what are some of actionable items that they can do to start building that culture? No matter where they're at, what would those starting points be? First, find the right people. You got, you got to find the, the right people. And then you've got to find people that are truly there for the cause, that believe in what you're doing and are going to build authentic relationships where they care so much for each other that they're going to work as hard as they possibly can to be successful. They have to have the same belief as if they are the owner, right? As if they're the owner in that business or company, that they're going to, they're going to have that same passion for it. 
And you as a leader have to show that you appreciate and that you care for what they're doing. And if you can do that, you, you can be successful. So coach, I started the podcast because of my two kids, Maddox, who's 11. Um, my son's Maddox, by the way, as well. I saw you spell, you spell yours with an I, right? Yeah, yeah, my, I? My, my, that was my wife's doing. We, we have, we had some conflict on that, but okay. yes, yeah, she wanted We're, it to be different. Was it a, was it a Greg Maddox thing? No, it was really just, she loved the name Maddox. I don't love that it's, you know, I think it looks a little, as he gets older, I think it'll look a little funny when he goes to write it. I think it's great as a kid. I'm not a fan of it as he gets older. Um, but, you know, the wife wins, right? At the end of the day, the wife wins. <laughs> well, I, I started the podcast because of the two kids. So Maddox is the guy who marches to the beat of his own drum. He's actually got a, a half head of dreads. He looks like a little uh, little uh, Viking. Uh, the kid, is his style is on point. He's amazing. Um, Whereas mismatched socks, he does, just does his own thing. My daughter is in the performing arts, and she has probably one of the most sarcastic um, uh, personalities that I've ever met. This is, this is our routine in the morning. I take her to school. I say, you're the greatest. She looks at me and she's like, I know. And then I say, I love you, baby. And she's like, who wouldn't? And then she slams the door on me and goes to school. That's her personality. I started the podcast because of those two, and I wanted to take iconic people like yourself, the most winningest coach in uh, the Cal Lutheran women's soccer history, and I wanted to show them that you aren't a superhero, that you're a, simp that you're a human being, and that you, but you have incredible work ethic and an incredible attitude, which you've already showed. What advice would you have for Maddox and McKenna? And if you could say both their names, it would be awesome. Maddox and McKenna, um, listen to your dad, number one. He's a really smart guy who has a lot of knowledge. Uh, secondly, value every relationship that you have. Treat people the way you always want to be treated and love everybody with a positive vibe. Coach, can you tell me the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Uh, I think wisdom is learned over the years through failure. I think you, you don't have wisdom until you fail. So once you fail, you then have wisdom. You think you have knowledge, but you don't really have the wisdom until you failed with that knowledge. Coach, you have been absolutely phenomenal. Um, I would love to have you on the uh, podcast more and more because I think that there's so many people. I mean, the chat has gone crazy, and I'm I'm excited to be able to share this with you here in a second when we get done recording. Um, the the comments that have come through have been unbelievable. Um, you know, your coaching style, not only your coaching style, but but also you as a human being. And we need more leaders like you in our world. Um, you know, and. So what I want to invite every single person out there, if you're watching or if you're listening, I want you to share this with someone, especially the student athletes, especially the kids who are coming up that are looking at different programs. Because for, for me, like my, my niece is very important to me. My kids are very important. And I, I mean, for me as a parent, I want Maddox and McKenna to go to a college that has a coach like you. And I just, my hat's off to you. Um, you are absolutely amazing. I mean, way better than advertised coach and you're advertised very, very well. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate all the kind words. I, I'm not deserving of all those kind words, but I, I do appreciate it. Um, if it's okay, can I, can I put a plug in for what's going on here at go, Cal Luther today? Go. All right. Today is Cal Luther cares day, which is 
We're raising money for Cal Lutheran women's soccer as part of our day. Hopefully, maybe we can put the link in the chat. Um, we'll do something like that. Um, up until midnight tonight, actually, they'll let some gifts go into the next couple of days. Um, we're trying to reach a goal of, I think, about 22000 I don't know where we are. We were about thirteen or fourteen last time I looked. Um, but, you know, it's all the money is going to be spent on these wonderful student athletes that I work with. So anything we can do to help them have an amazing experience, travel. We're going to travel to Austin, Texas to play some games. And uh, we need a little extra help to get that trip off the ground. So anything anybody can do, um, we'd appreciate that and helping these student athletes continue their great experience here at Cal Lutheran. Coach, we're not only going to put the uh, link in, but we're we're also going to I'm going to share it with all my social channels um, to make right. sure that that people, um, you know, that they're donating. to. I mean, this is such a phenomenal cause, um, you know, helping and to be able to see a person like yourself that is not only growing athletes, but growing individuals and growing human beings that are going to be phenomenal in this world. Again, it's what we need. It's it's what this world needs. And so we're going to, I mean, this, this community, I can tell you, we're not only going to put the links, we'll do it in the socials. Um, every one of you who's listening, who's watching, we're going to have a link for you that you can just go right to it and be able to donate directly. So. Thank you so much um, for everything. Thanks for having me on. I absolutely enjoyed every minute of it today. Great getting to know you as well. Well, Coach, uh, I want to thank you so much. Now's the time. Everyone listening and watching, you know what you need to do now. Check out the sponsors. Um, you know, uh, patronize every single one of them. This is the shameless uh, plugs for me. Uh, make sure that you click all the links, check out all the sponsors. But I want to thank every single one of you. And I want to thank you for, with no paid promotion, we got in the top 1% globally because of every one of you who watch, who listen, and who share. And please share this with every student athlete, with every, uh, with every parent. Because if you're a parent out there and you have a, a, a female who's playing soccer, I believe that they need to go to Cal Lutheran to be able to be coached up by this incredible human being. Coach, you're, you're incredible. Um, and I want to thank you again for being on the show. And I can't wait to have you on again. Thank you so much. Have a great night and uh, say hi to McKenna and Maddox for me. <laughs> Coach, you're officially off the hot seat.